0: You are listening to the Vine Church Sermon Podcast. Thanks for joining us. For more information about the Vine Church, please visit our website at www.thevinemadison.org. And that's why I'm here. That's why I'm here with you all today. We're going to focus on Jesus on the cross. And I want to also welcome you on October 31st. We celebrate Reformation Day. You just witnessed a reformation of sorts. And Reformation Day, we're celebrating uh, 500 plus years of uh, since Martin Luther nailed 95 theses church door in Wittenberg, Germany. And if we take ourselves back, and we're students of history, we should recognize that Martin Luther's goal was not to divide the church, right? Martin Luther's goal was to refocus the church on the gospel of Christ, on Jesus. And so, uh, what we're going to to do today is to rally around Jesus rally around the cross and not let issues divide us and we just sang a hymn that's written by martin luther he penned the words that are going to be here on the screen and though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us we will not fear for god has willed his truth to triumph through us there's lots of things that threaten to undo us in this world right politics COVID things social issues, etc. We are going to unite around the cross. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather at your feet and at your cross today. Please be with us and please have your will be done in all of our lives. Thank you for suffering in our place and may we see you more fully today and walk out of the doors of this building or leave this service much more in touch with who you are and ready to live out our lives as Christians in a world that thirsts for knowledge of you. Amen. All right, so what we're going to do is we're going to pick up with uh, Matthew chapter 27. So you can open your Bible to Matthew 27, turn on your Bible if you're using the app, that's great. We are going to be in Matthew 27, specifically verses 45 through 56. As was mentioned, we're in a three-week series on uh, Jesus, man of Sorrows, our joy and today we're going to look at Jesus as the Son of God. And if you're just here for the first week out of, <laughs> if this is your first week here or your first week out of the last three, you might feel a little out of touch because we're picking up at the middle of the story. It's like walking into the movie in the la- for the last 10 minutes and seeing the final scene and not having the context. So I would encourage you to read the other 44 verses, maybe even today as we're going through, uh, through the scripture. Uh, But where we're going to pick up is with Jesus on the cross. We're going to be in verses 45 through 56. The words will be on the screen, and I'm going to read them for us here. 45, the death of Jesus. Now, from the sixth hour, there was a darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani? That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And Coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. There were also many women there, looking on from a distance, who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene. And Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. This is the word of the Lord. This is a beautiful passage, arguably one of the most well-known stories in Scripture, the death of Jesus, his crucifixion. And I, uh, I don't really want to add much to the beauty of what's happening here in these verses. There are people who write entire books, make their entire careers on what we just read. And we have... 30-ish minutes (laughs) to unravel the mysteries of of the Trinity and all the stuff that's happening here. Um, So here's the point. Here's the point. Just Let the cat out of the bag. Verse 54, this is the the zenith of this story, I believe. Truly, this was the Son of God. What we're going to do is we're going to spend our time today looking at how this truly was the Son of God. How did this Roman centurion reach that conclusion? How can we witness to this and reach that conclusion and then we'll examine the varied reactions to Jesus on the cross and how how we fit into this story today so I hope that sounds good we're going to focus on how Jesus is the son of God how did the Roman centurion reach this let's break it down let's go verse by verse verse 45 will be up here on the screen now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour Up to this point, Jesus has been on the cross for roughly three hours and then three hours more. Three hours more. We can go back to verse 45 and leave that up there, Emery. Uh, if you're not used to tracking time in the ancient Israelite way, uh, then you might not. Or maybe your study Bible or Bible has like a little note that says this is roughly noon to 3 p.m., noon to 3 p.m. or so, which is the peak of daylight, right? The peak of daylight. That's that's sort of one of the main points here is this is when daylight is the most intense, and yet we have darkness. So why does this darkness lead to us? Why, why does this m- point out to Jesus being the son of God that there's darkness for three hours in the middle of the day? Uh, well, I have a lot of questions about this, as I'm guessing some of you do. Like, how did this happen? Um, some people posit that's it's a solar eclipse. Passover happens during a full moon. Solar eclipses happen. So I'm told during the new moon, I'm not an astronomer, so it doesn't seem that that would be the likely explanation here. Um, was it a sandstorm? We don't kn- honestly. We don't know. And here's the thing: Matthew, as we're going to see time and time again here, is not about explaining the how. He's explaining the why. His audience are people who had firsthand witness accounts available to them. Right in the first century, Matthew would have been writing to people who could talk with people who were there. What Matthew's getting at is the why. Why is this important to us? That there was darkness over the land for three hours so why let's let's think about the 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 context here this is darkness over the land for three hours now darkness is there are there any other mentions of darkness over the land maybe specifically around passover because that's when this is happening this is all happening on passover we're going to see that repeat was there ever darkness in Passover? Oh, yes. I remember that there were ten plagues, right? There were ten plagues. There was, you know, frogs and boils and all that sort of stuff. The ninth plague was darkness over the land. The ninth plague, plague was darkness over the land. So, and that's the second to the last plague, so there's something that's going to come after the darkness. Does anybody know? Bible trivia. What was the tenth plague? The death of the firstborn son. Ding, ding, ding. That's right. That's exactly right. Jesus is this firstborn son of the Passover. Jesus is the son of God from the tenth plague who's dying to protect those underneath his blood because this is Jesus serving a dual role. He's not only the the firstborn son. He's not only the the son of God. He's the son of God. He's also the Passover lamb, as we're going to see a little later on. So this darkness immediately precedes the death of the son. Truly, this is the Son of God. There's lots more connections here. (laughs) Again, I wish we could explore this for hours and hours, but we're going to move on to verse 46. Verse 46 will be on the screen. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Here's Jesus. If you know about the the theology of the Trinity, Jesus is fully God, fully man, and somehow he is forsaken here, and this is a, a big ball to unravel, and we just, we, we're not going to get to that today, but I encourage you in your city groups to discuss some of these ideas and how Jesus may feel forsaken, but, but look at how, what he's quoting. He's saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why is he quoting that? Why is he saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I think there's two main reasons. There's two main reasons why he's saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? One, Jesus is in agony, and not just agony that I think we understand. Last week, James was uh, preaching on, James D. was preaching on the the crucifixion and, like, nails and blood and and the the torture, the physical torture. I think we understand, but the darkness over the land, the cup of wrath, like soul-level torment, I think is a little beyond our comprehension, especially as Jesus is drinking this cup of wrath for us. We, We address that. A couple months ago now. So I think Jesus is actually in agony. He's feeling this anguish. Why have you forsaken me? This is a, an abandonment I don't think we can fathom. He's not just suffering at a bodily level. He's suffering at a soul at a soul level. And, and John Calvin, he's a famous reformer, has a quote. I'm going to include that quote here on the screen for you. I think that, that does a great job of summarizing this. If Christ had died only a bodily death, it would have been ineffectual. Unless his soul shared in the punishment, he would have been the redeemer of bodies alone. He paid a greater and more excellent price in suffering in his soul, the terrible torments of a condemned and forsaken man. So Jesus is undergoing this punishment, this, this, this agony that only the Son of God could truly Take on, but I also think there's a second reason why he's giving us this quote. Most of the time when Jesus addresses God the Father, he says Father. That's why we get you know the Our Father prayer. But look at here. He's saying My God, My God, why have you forsaken me? He's quoting from Psalm 22. You may have like a little footnote that says he's quoting from Psalm 22, and this is where it gets really exciting for me. This is psalm twenty two is out of control with the amount of connections between psalm twenty two and what jesus is going through on the cross and what you need to know about psalm twenty two is that it was written a thousand years before jesus was crucified. This was written by King David a thousand years ago. think about it something a thousand years ago that was written about the badgers beating Iowa in football yesterday or something like that would be you would be that would be great you would have i guess Gambled really well <laughs> on that, uh, but this is about prophecy fulfilled in Jesus. There's no analogs between what we're about to read and what's happening in uh, with, with what happens in David's life and what we're going to read about here. We're not going to read the whole psalm, but I want you to examine this and think. This psalm points to Jesus being the Messiah, being God's Son. There's, let's let's just dive in here. Uh, verse one is in Psalm 22. Says. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? And this is exactly the anguish we just talked about, right? The cries of anguish, his feeling abandoned. But let's look at 6 through 8 now. We're going to fast forward a little bit. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. This is tied directly to the passage, right, with the people scoffing. If you want to talk about the Toloth worm up there, I'm happy to talk with you about that later on. There's some really great imagery. But uh, moving on to to 16, let's keep going on. Psalm 22, 16. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. This was written a thousand years before (laughs) Jesus was crucified. And in fact, crucifixion was invented 600 years after this was written. Piercing my hands and feet. The Persians invented crucifixion. It wasn't around when David was king. What else could this be? I, I propose it to you. What else could this be if not prophecy about Jesus, the Son of God? Dividing my clothes and casting lots. We've just read about this. We've just read about the scoffers. 26 through 28, let's keep going. What, who else could this describe besides Jesus? The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him, for, a domin- for dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. He rules over the nations. We're in Wisconsin right now. This is, we have a team going to Ecuador this week. We have mission partners in North Africa. The word of the Lord is reaching the nations. Again, I say, who else could this be but the son of God fulfilling this? And this is not all. 30 through 31. Posterity will serve him Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. This is us. You see? This is us. We, we are part of Jesus fulfilling this prophecy. That de- we're proclaiming his righteousness to a people yet unborn. That's you and I. And we're proclaiming it to kids in next gen right there who will proclaim it to their children who are yet unborn. Don't you see? This is Jesus is saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? To trigger oh, Psalm 22. Oh, my goodness. The puzzle pieces start to, to fall in, in line. And we see, what else could this be besides the Son of God as proof that, that Jesus dying on the cross was fulfillment of Psalm 22, of, of the, all the scriptures? I think this is amazing that, that this is still happening. The prophecy is still being fulfilled today. And yet we have people's reactions in verses 47 through 49, which we'll come back to. We're going to hang on to the people's reactions in 47 through 49 until the end. Uh, let's actually look at verse 50. All right, we're going to keep going through, through Matthew, Ma- back to Matthew twenty-seven fifty, 50. Uh, and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. He cried out again and yielded up his spirit, which is uh, indicative of his intentionality of this moment. He's intentionally giving up of his spirit, which is in line with what Jesus says himself in John 10, 18. It says, no one takes his life from him, but I lay it down of my own accord. Jesus himself says that. And and the fact that he's crying out, we learned last week from James that being on the cross, he's like slumped down. Exhaling is very difficult, which is what you do when you need to shout out, it is finished. Um, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. He said it loud enough, cried out. He had to lift himself up, expand his lungs, and cry out. This is something he's doing on purpose. Why is he doing this on purpose, we might ask? Why, why would he choose this, this moment to yield up his spirit? This has another connection to the Passover. The Passover lamb was killed around 3 p.m. Like, r- that's roughly at beginnings of of the end of the day in preparation for nightfall the the paschal lamb was killed at around 3 p.m. which is right in line with when Jesus intentionally gave up his spirit why would he choose this moment he could have he could have stayed on the cross and, until the sabbath which he only had to wait a few more hours then he would have been you know lord of the sabbath and we would have been talking about that but he's intentionally giving up his life at this moment to reflect the passover lamb and you, you, this is Jesus as god's son serves as that sacrifice and does so willingly for us this is amazing all these connections this is how the roman centurion is beginning to see that truly this was the son of god but there's still more verses 51 through the beginning of 52 say and behold the curtain was torn into curtain of the temple from top to bottom and the earth shook and the rocks were split the tombs also were opened I'm not a geologist, uh, but there is evidence. We'll start with the earthquakes, and we'll talk about the, the curtain as well. But uh, there are, there are the University of Texas, in the last 10 years, I, I, haven't, I haven't linked to this article if, you inter- if you're interested, they studied that there was a major earthquake around 30 A.D. centered in Judea. So there's evidence for this, like this earthquake happening. It's very cool. Um, but again, Matthew doesn't talk about the how. He's talking about the why. Right, so the earth is being split. We also have that in combination with the curtain, the curtain. We need to know a little bit about the curtain to understand this. So I have an image. This is from the ESV study Bible. And this is actually of the tabernacle and not the temple. The tabernacle was like a mobile version, a mini mobile version of the temple, uh, pre-temple. And we're actually talking about the, cur- the second curtain there, not the first one, but the second one. And what that curtain did was it protected the space called the Holy of Holies, and that was supposed to be a separation between that area of the temple and then the rest of it. Uh, the Holy of Holies was not r- for people. Uh, it th- we didn't really want people going in there except once a year and uh, only after a, a big amount of purification, a large amount of purification. So that curtain was there to, to shield the Holy of Holies from the priests who were would have been filled with sin and unclean. So you wouldn't, like, fall in, <laughs> Right. And this is the curtain that is that is tearing from top top down, um, and this serves a, a few purposes. One, you can see that, that when the curtain tears, there is no longer this separation. There's no longer this separation, which is incredibly meaningful. And and that's one level of its meaning meaningfulness, I guess. We we have the curtain is also this blue color. You see it there. In this blue. It's this big thick blue curtain it's about an inch thick it's to prevent people from like accidentally falling in and then they're toast in the in the holy of holies it's this big thick 60 foot by 30 foot one inch thick curtain which is just that's that's a lot of fabric <laughs> and so this is clearly an intentional rip and if it's blue why is it blue uh, well here's the here's the deal in the ancient jewish cosmology not to get super nerdy but uh what wh- what they sort of pictured the universe like was in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth. The, the heavens was like this, this dome, like this, the sky. It's the sky. And it was like this big dome over the earth. And the earth is like the land. We live in the middle of the snow globe. if You can picture that. And so this blue curtain is analogous to the sky. It's why it's blue. It's why on the ends it's red to represent like sunset, sunrise. And it was a barrier between the people space and God's space do you see why the curtain ripping in two is paired with the earthquake the earth is splitting and the heavens are splitting the heavens are splitting so this is what what does that mean why why is this why does this trigger the roman centurion to say truly this was the son of god it's because jesus's death points to him being a son of god his death shows us that there's an end to the old there's an end to the old way of heavens and earth and there's beginning of something new which makes the next passage make a lot of sense. If you think about how the old way is gone, the old way of heaven and earth at death is gone, we now have verses 52 through 53, the end of this. Uh, we'll put this one up here, Emery. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised, and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. I don't know if anybody wants to trade... Right now, <laughs> this is one of the strangest passages. Ma- in fact, this is only mentioned in Matthew, and I have lots of questions. I have lots of questions. Are these? Is this like Mo- Moses and Abraham? People like resu- in new resurrection bodies. Uh, this is all happening, by the way. This is something that Matthew does. He does like a jump cut in the scriptures. He's he's jumping ahead. He ha- there's this little phrase of um, after his resurrection. Spoiler: Jesus is resurrected. And this is all happening afterwards. So were these Moses, Abraham, people who were resurrected to resurrection bodies and then ascended into heaven afterwards? Or was this more like Lazarus and, and people who had died recently and then were resurrected and then, and then died again like, like Lazarus did? I don't know. I don't know. It, but either way, the point is not how Matthew describes how. It's, how, it's the why. Why is this happening? The purpose is to showcase that Jesus is God's son, that in his death, he is the son of God. These people are resurrected because of the old creation that's gone away. Old earth, old heaven, it's gone. We have a new life. We have new life. This is why the Roman centurion can look at all of this and say, truly, this was the son of God. So I hope you've seen darkness, the earthquake the curtain you've seen jesus yielding up his spirit that all the fulfillments in psalm 22 as evidence of jesus being the son of god this is this is meant to have us see with proof that this is son of god and, and lest you lest you go this route and you, be, you can be skeptical when matthew is writing this he's writing this as a as a history and pointing out these details he's not retrofitting these details onto the story of what happened like oh yeah, let's mention the gambling thing, so he fulfills Psalm 22. You know, he's writing this to say, here's what happened. This is connected to casting lots. This is connected to Jesus' crucifixion, piercing hands and feet. So we're meant to see this as proof. And now that we've witnessed this, now that we've witnessed Jesus on the cross, now what? What do we do? Well, we're going to take our cue from uh, four different reactions that people have. So if you want to get into the application mode of the sermon, it's going to be this part. How do we apply this to our lives? Jesus is truly the Son of God. Verse 47, though, we have our first reaction. So we can go there now. Some of the bystanders hearing it after Jesus saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. This man is calling Elijah. Jesus did say, Eli. I could see why they would think that. They were, I would say these people were confused. I think these people were confused. They just didn't quite know. And if that's not all of us at some point that we don't really understand what Jesus is getting at, Jesus is saying, Eli, Eli, Lema, Sabachthani, because he's quoting the first line in Psalm 22. We just looked at that psalm. He's saying something beyond what he's saying, Right? This is, this is why Jesus is so confusing to us and to people throughout Madison, right? Jesus was a good teacher, but I, I don't really understand the, the full ramifications. Does that sound familiar? I think he's calling Elijah. That makes sense. Elijah's a good guy. So what does this mean if we're confused? Like How would we, how would we avoid being confused or, or help those who are confused? Uh, this is a little speculation, but I would, I would have to imagine if someone was sit standing next to one of these bystanders and said, psst, he's actually quoting Psalm 22. Let's open up the scriptures and I'll show you. I have to imagine the person might go, oh, okay. So how do, we, how do we help our confusion and help others' confusion? Well, one, I think we should be a resource to others who want to know Jesus personally and want to know the scriptures, which means that you and I need to immerse ourselves in the scriptures. We need to know that Psalm 22 is talking about Jesus' death and all the things it's predicting so that we can help. We can help those who are confused. I think that's reaction number one. Reaction number two, let's go to 48 through 49. One of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, but the other said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. Is, uh, this has always been a little confusing for me. Like, why were they? What were they trying to do? Were they trying to like keep him alive? Or what, what were they? What's the point? After after doing a, a couple months of research on all of this, um, it's the consensus that they're mocking him. They're mocking him here. They're actually taunting Jesus. And if I read it that way, it makes a whole lot more sense. What they're trying to do is keep him alive and keep his suffering prolonged. They're trying to keep him alive on the cross, like give him something to drink so he'll survive longer and have to be in agony more. And Furthermore, this is not very good tasting wine. Uh, And they're putting it on a reading. They're they're taunting him saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah is going to come and save him. You can imagine the amusement that they're getting out of this. How does this compare to us today? Are there any people who would look at what we're doing here, witnessing what's on the cross, and think it's a joke? It's just amusing scoffing, right? Th- and, and honestly, if we're all honest, Romans 3 <laughs> says we're all sinners. We all have sinned. We're all enemies of Christ. These people actively being enemies, and we all have at once, at one point, been enemies of Christ. So how do we apply this to our lives? Well, the, Here's the unfortunate thing. Jesus is, is silent about what to do with enemies, right? Jesus has never said anything about Oh, well, he does, doesn't he? <laughs> Matthew five, <laughs> forty-four says, "But I say to you, love your enemies, and pray for those who persecute you." So, if you're if you would count yourself among the scoffers, you have loved ones who are. Jesus died for you. He loves you. He loves his enemies. And he tells us to pray for those who persecute you, who persecute those who follow Jesus. Jesus died on the cross for all enemies, in which we're all included. So, what would Jesus say to us when we're confronting enemies of the faith? Love them, pray for them. That's reaction number two people, enemies. Verse 54, sincere revelation of Christ. We'll put the, the verse up here. I think this is the, the centurion and those who are with him, they are watching this, they see the earthquake, they're filled with awe, and they said, truly, this was the Son of God. Who's the centurion? Why does this matter? Why, does, why is the centurion called out here? You have to remember what a centurion was. This is a battle-hardened Roman soldier he may have held jesus down may have nailed into jesus's wrists may have whipped him we don't know we don't but certainly he's been witness to all of this and been a part of it it's not peter it's not john who's having this revelation it's the centurion it's the outcast the outsider who has the realization after witnessing all that we have witnessed today in these scriptures that says truly this was the Son of God. It's the centurion. This is his moment of conversion. This is his moment of conversion, I think. And I think this is an invitation for all of us too. have you, like the centurion said, truly this was the Son of God. Not literally with your, with your tongue necessarily, but have you in your heart accepted this, this witness of all that we've seen today and said, truly this was the Son of God. If not, this is your invitation. I'm inviting you today. This can be your day to confess, truly this was the Son of God. You too can have this realization and have your life changed. We have a, uh, here's, here's another verse from 1 Peter 2.24. It says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds. You have been healed. This is the word for you today. This is the word for the centurion. Witness all these things around his death, and today declare that Jesus is God's son. Our final reaction, I think, are the people who've had this realization before. So, for for those of you that had this realization, you say, "Yes, I remember." moment where I I, I can picture the beauty and the sorrow of Jesus on the cross. Now what? (laughs) Verses 55 through 56 there were also many women there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee ministering to him among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Joseph and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. These women are faithful when others have fled. These women are faithful when others have fled. And again, this is not Peter having this realization. Look in in, uh, verse 61, just fast-forwarding a little bit. They're sitting outside the tomb waiting. Who's waiting? The women, the outcasts at this point. This is not the church leader's job to live faithfully. It's not just their job to live faithfully. Living faithfully, ministering to Jesus, waiting. This is held by the social outcasts and those who retain their faithfulness despite their circumstances they're 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 mourning jesus here and there was a prohibition on mourning those in uh, who were executed by the romans there was a prohibition against it so they are being faithful despite prohibitions against doing so too this is our this is our lesson for us should we be confused we immerse ourselves in the scriptures should we be enemies or encounter those who are we love and pray for them Should we have that moment of realization, we can, like the centurion, confess daily, truly this was the Son of God, and that causes us to walk faithfully, to live faithfully, and to wait. Jesus promised he would be resurrected, and he was three days later. Jesus promised he would come again, and we're still waiting. Let's wait faithfully on the Son of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask for you to be merciful to us. We ask for you to allow us more time to absorb who you are, that there's no end to the amount of words that could be written about the beauty of your death on the cross, what it meant, what this sacrifice meant. Lord, may we encounter you this week. May we confess with our lips, truly this was the Son of God. And for those that are experiencing this realization for the first time today, Lord, I ask your protection on their hearts, that 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 all of us leaving this service would wait faithfully. We would immerse ourselves in scriptures. We would love those who are your enemies. That includes us, Lord. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for being the man of sorrows, yet our joy. Lord Jesus, in your name we pray. Please come again. Amen.